on the viewpoint. Hashtag business on Wednesday. It's still the viewpoint. Data science and the business of it. Data science is a blend of various tools, algorithms, and machine learning principles with the goal to discover hidden patterns from raw data. As the world entered the era of big data, and now we're seeing it especially in the advent of the fourth industrial revolution, the need for storage also grew. It was the main challenge and concern for the enterprise industries until 2010. The main focus was on building a framework on solutions to store data. But how is this different from the statisticians have been doing for years? And how can the business of data science be used to find solutions to the social challenges that in this country we have plenty of? To join us in that conversation now is a man who knows all about data science. Business Science Corporation, BSC Global, their CEO, Mr. Elton Bondi. Elton, good evening. Thanks for your time. Thank you very much, Sangesa. Thanks for inviting me to your show. Excellent. Good to have you. Let's talk about something which many people know is there but don't probably have a clue exactly. First of all, how much of the data there is in the world, how much of our own identities and how much of our own fingerprints will leave behind through engaging with our laptops, cell phones. Anything we do digitally, we leave a trail that is super useful to someone, for someone not just in South Africa, but but way beyond our borders, a conversation about data and how we help produce this massive business. Um, you're quite correct, Sanghez. I think the last um, decade in particular, the growth in, uh, in the term big data and, and the advent of data has been huge. It's driven um, largely by uh, the ability to store data, so just, just comp- uh, computing power, data storage power has got tremendously more powerful You've got calculation power of, of software is a lot more powerful. And then, of course, um, social media. Uh, a lot of people leave a data trail because uh, there's, there's lots of different social media channels. Everything that you do, everything that you say, everything that you store, everything that you post is recorded. Um, there are the databases now to hold all that data. And then, uh, and then of course, it, it becomes uh, hugely useful to a lot of people for good purposes and, and uh, some more nefarious purposes as well, unfortunately. Let's not talk about the nefarious purposes at this point, but I mean, let's talk about the fact that with so much data out there, how much of this information that belongs to Elton, that belongs to Songhezo, has Songhezo actually consented for it to be used by second and third businesses outside of the one with whom I would have contracted? For instance, I fill out a cell phone contract and they're all always put out the terms and conditions of it that you could disagree with, right? They say, have you read these terms and understood these terms? Yes. And part of what you have said yes to is the fact that this information that you've just filled out there may be for authorized purposes, whatever that might mean, be forwarded on to somebody else who needs this data. So the security yeah. thereof. So, so the, the, South Africa is actually quite good, at least the legislation in South Africa is quite good into this. Uh, so the Poppy Act, the, the Protection of Personal Information um, Act is very good. The, the, the policing of it, of course, uh, is another story. It can be quite difficult to do. And um, I think the big thing is that nobody should be harmed by the data that you have, uh, that you've given over willingly or unwillingly in, in terms of what you've done. Nobody should get hold of it. You shouldn't be prejudiced in any way because of it. You shouldn't be pestered because of it. 
And the Act does give you a lot of protection for that. Uh, unfortunately, before the Act was passed and before things, it was developed, in fact, and, and there was a lot of use, uh, a lot of data trail that people left. So there's, there's, there's lists all over the place, and I think everybody knows. And they're out there, so everybody knows that they're phoned by 101 people every month. They're phoned by different companies uh, trying to sell them things. And, and that's out there already, those, those lists are out there. But the protection is, um, is pretty good in South Africa, and the legislation is pretty good. What you can do with that data is you can generalize. So as long as it doesn't come to some gezo and we don't understand and, and get to use data um, in an unfair way that will prejudice or pester you, it's okay to say that there was such that there is such a general persona type that is using that, that has the following behavioral patterns. So you, so it still becomes useful in terms of of understanding where societal trends are and things like that so long as you don't prejudice a, a, a person. That's the theory, but I mean, that's the legislation. To police it is another story. So mm. It's a very difficult thing. Very yeah, difficult. Well, because we have to talk about that policing in relation to the theory, because I feel unprotected, I feel bothered, I feel somewhat prejudiced when Musi Maimane calls me from his... 087 number, and as soon as I answer, he starts speaking. Hi, this is Musim Maimane. Please vote for the D. I mean, why would I be getting such a call? I would never consent to that. And if I knew I was consenting to that, I would never have ticked to those terms. But because the language that in, in data sciences, I suppose, I mean, for lack of a better term, is so nuanced to people who are in that space who understand exactly what it is that I'm contracting to, I, I would never agree to that. So the question has to be then, how can we improve that policing, that effective and responsible use of private data for the purposes on the one end, yes, sure, go and do your business, but don't use that very data that I've given you in confidence to come back and bother me and prejudice me and to expose me in a sense. I mean, if a politician can call me up on my phone, anybody else can call me on my phone and that can become very dangerous. Uh, absolutely. But, but the difficulty is, so you're irritated because you've got a politician that sent you a recording. So I'm going to ask you to do something about it now. What, do you, what can you do about it? There's, uh, it, mm -hmm. it becomes a very onerous and difficult uh, position for you to go and, and, uh, and do something about that. You'd have to because you must understand, before the legislation was passed, there were things called lead lists. There still are. And so your name got out there at some stage, at some point. Somebody told you there are companies that you can go to now where you can buy lists, you can buy data, you can buy, um, you can buy the sort of information um, which they, they would have accumulated those lists you know, over many, many years. And so it becomes very, very difficult to trace now how your details got to the hands of a political party. So, so the legislation, it will get better, I believe. The legislation's a lot better, it's a lot more onerous mm -hmm. for, for a lot of firms uh, in the telco industries, for a lot of firms in any industry that, uh, that deal in personal data, whether it's uh, employee data or, or customer client data, um, the onus on those companies from now to protect that is high. But it, always, it wasn't always like that, and these lists and these databases got out there, and they're out there. Sure. Let's talk about organizations that are operating in your field. I mean, when we're talking about data science, it can be broken down in many forms. Revenue science, productivity science, simulation science, reality science, planning science, all of which can, well, when well harnessed, be used to improve the bottom line, grow your products, access to markets that otherwise you wouldn't have in the traditional sense. So elaborate, please, in terms of the many sciences within data science. Um, look, 
this let's let's underpin this. The, the whole the whole area of just just to define the whole area of data science. Um, I divide or we divide into, and I think the industry, I think it's unique to us, divide into, into four categories there's, there's, uh, mm-hmm. uh, of increasing value. So the first is reporting. There's a whole bunch of things going on out there. There's uh, the IoT, Internet of Things, collecting uh, whether it would be vibrations and temperatures of machines and uh, to drones that are looking at, that are, are taking, doing surveys. There's a whole bunch of information that's, that's collected out there. So the first thing that, that the data science would do, very crudely speaking, within each one of these four categories is a lot of analytics that happens. But the first one is, is to report, just to, to what's happening and where. And that's useful. Mm. And to be frank, that's about yes, 90% of what, what our industry calls BI, or business intelligence. You then move on to the next step, which is to diagnose, which is not what's happening and where, but why is it happening. From there, you move to predict where you have it with a degree of probability, you're able to say what is likely to happen. And the fourth, the fourth mm-hmm. area is, is to prescribe, where you would be advising a, a client, a manager, a decision maker, um, on what to do, what's the best thing to do, that's optimization. Now, when you move beyond reporting to diagnostics, prediction, and prescription, there it presupposes that you have a model. It presupposes that you've, and when I say a model, that you've understood the relationships between different data sets. So data in its mm-hmm. own set to connect it is useful to a point. It tells you what's happening and where. But too much data becomes incredibly noisy. And what becomes more important than being able to do the data engineering, which is to collect the data, collate it, make it clean, make it uh, usable, uh, you know, it's not uh, files and data sets that are not uh, repeated and so on and so forth, is to actually discern value from that, and that's where the, that's where the data science comes in. So, so for example, that would be the construction of what we call a digital twin. So, a lot of our, our large manufacturing, mining, engineering clients, we would build a full digital representation, a model, as it were, that operationally, physically, and economically behaves exactly like the real world mine or factory or plant will behave. And the value of that is, is extraordinary when you get down to the high fidelity that we do. So we're able to, to link, for example, a simulation of how a production plant will be operating in 30-second time intervals and understanding what it will do, for example, in day shift. And you could model all the way down to give you a 30-year life of mine plan, for example. So right down to value and economics. So from physical physicalities and what it does and speeds and load factors and utilization rates and efficiencies all the way through to net present value. Now, the big thing, and everybody will say that there's garbage in, garbage out, the big thing is to calibrate these models. And we're able to do that incredibly accurately today to within, to within 3 4% fidelity or accuracy to the real world. So now you've got this digital twin of your operation. And, and by the way, the term digital twinning came from the engineering world. It came from people that used to simulate uh, physical engineering things like turbines. Sure. Now we can, we can do a whole operation. Now, the beauty of that is once you've set that up and you've calibrated it accurately, the more data you get, the better it is. And you can use it to, to as I say, to diagnose. You can say, this is what did happen. It wasn't as planned. Why? What was exactly? You can do an attribution and say, this is the area. And what we're finding is it's incredibly useful and fascinating in that context because um, you think something's wrong, which it is. You fix it. 
and it doesn't have the improvement because what you don't see in the real world is the unintended consequence. You don't see a bottleneck somewhere else in the system. So you, you fix, and, and that's exactly the point, is that everything that happens in business, we believe is a system, it's an economic system. There's a cause and effect, mm-hmm. whether, whether it's a production line or even it's a market. Uh, you know, we get very scientific. I think, uh, the way we look at it is it's the mathematics of business. You can understand causality. So, so the good side of, of big data and, and, and data science, you can get very precise about understanding not only what's happening in your organization, any good reporting, well-implemented reporting system will do that, but you can understand exactly mm-hmm. why it's happened. You can predict quite accurately um, what's going to happen next. And most importantly, you can, it'll tell you, we can tell you what to do next and how to, how to optimize the operation to anticipate uh, sure. future conditions. Absolutely. So, so We're going to take a break now, Alton. Yeah. No, 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 for sure. And, and, and I certainly don't doubt that because when you talk about rep- reporting, diagnose, predict, and prescription, I, I, I just thought in terms of how government, through the facility that you offer and many in your space offer, how government, with all that data that it has or the data that it potentially could be generating because it is not as online as it probably should be as the world demands that the government should be and for the purposes of being more effective in its the in its rollout of services and goods distribution in this country and resources with that as well as opening up businesses that are dormant because government isn't quite as organized as it should be. So we're going to have a conversation and we're going to spend a bit of time in terms of with what we know our government is doing or not doing in relation to the data or the potential of data that it could have, ways in which we could stimulate the economy using big data sciences. A conversation continues with Mr. Elton Bondi, CEO of BSC Global, immediately after the Song is on my on SAFM. We are unpacking in a way what the fourth industrial revolution might mean for South Africa. We are talking to an expert in big data science, Mr. Elton Bondi, who is the CEO of BSC Global. That's Business Science Corporation. And really, they are in the business of organizing data and making sure that that data works for organizations. Specifically, he said big data can be broken up into four segments. Reporting, which is the what and the where, that's business intelligence that accounts for 90% of the data itself. Diagnose, why is this thing happening or why are these things happening? Three, predict, in other words, what is likely to happen and on the basis of the reporting, diagnosis and the prediction, there then becomes what is called the prescription. In other words, the advice, this is what you probably should do because this is what the data over time has been able to do. And I think on that point, we have to just focus on government um, Elton, because I'm a little concerned government hasn't quite appreciated the strength that it potentially has, albeit dormant, with its data. Uh, We've seen, of course, the Deputy President mumble what the fourth industrial revolution is all about. Less said about that, the better. But let us talk about the fact that we do have a fourth industrial revolution advisory panel headed by Professor Chilidzi Mahwala, who is well known in your circles for sure. And the data that government has, I mean, all those government records that are in physical copies, first of all, they should be digitized. And when digitized, they should be engineered, so to speak, such that the government can be able to, to respond better to its problems. All, of course, though, I predicate that on that it will have the right people in the right places to be able to do that. Suspend that thought for a moment. But government is in a position to capitalize on even this very low-hanging fruit if it just spent the right money in the right places, and that's on its data. 
Um, I think that's true, but I think that there's a challenge with government specifically, with any government anywhere, that um, that a, a, a private or business enterprise doesn't have, and that's about what its purpose is or what its objective function is. Let me elaborate. In a company, um, so, so you look at data, and that will discern patterns, and it will tell you how that business has behaved, why it's behaved, and then you're able to predict how it's going to behave, whether it be a business operation or that be a market segment or whatever it is. You, you can understand its character. You can, you can predict how it will behave. But all of that information is only useful in solving a problem. In other words, in, in configuring or optimizing the resources of that system. And I'm saying in, a, in, a, in an organization, that system would be its, its plants, its equipment, its markets. You, you, you can, you, using big data, you can learn how to configure that system in order to achieve an objective outcome, i.e., and, and there are several, they may be slightly conflicting with an organization, but they're largely the same. It's increased profitability, um, increased life of mind, increased value, or maybe you, a, a board or an exco may decide, no, it's not profitability that we seek, but it's, it's to increase market share. Whatever the case, it's a very defined objective function or target that you can use the big data to solve for. The challenge with governments around the world is what are, what are their objective functions? They're not clear. What are they trying to achieve? It's, it's not clear. Um, for example, let's, let's use a very, very crude example in South Africa. What do you want to do? Increase service delivery in Santon and Houghton? Or do you want to, uh, you know, to just get basic services um, in places like Alexandria? Um, who is your constituent? How, how do you, who are you trying to please? What does it mean to please them? And, and so the balance and the trade-offs and what governments and local governments and national governments are trying to achieve is, is, is very difficult. So that's the first thing that makes... May I please interrupt you there, Elton? Sorry, may I please interrupt you there? I would argue... Government does know that because they make appropriations for budget against a known predicted spend. They want to, they, they want 50 billion because they want to do a Todd Road between Elliott in the Eastern Cape connecting it to Queenstown, which is going to now enter, I mean, cut on the N6 between Stutterheim and on your way to sort of Johannesburg, on your way to Bloomington anyway. Government knows when it appropriates money that there is a spend designated for that. So in relation to that, when it has the data over the years, when it has municipal audits, when it has provincial audits, when it has national audits, it is because there is a plan, there is something that wants to be done, there is money that is appropriated for that. And I'm just wondering if whether or not big data might not assist government in better configure the state, build a capable state, and have better outcomes in terms of public procurement spend it, it certainly can but I'm, I'm going to step in most definitely there's no question about that we're, we're working with the central african government at the moment uh, using their mm -hmm. big data um to increase service delivery and, and their mandate is incredibly incredibly simple and it's very clear and i think we're going to be amazingly successful they saying sure. they're talking about so, so what they're saying is they're saying service delivery and they have limited resources, like every government, like every uh, organization in the world, and they're saying we have to increase service delivery. So we push them. What do you mean by service delivery? Give me a prioritization of service delivery. What is it? Is it roads? Is it, is it telephones? Is it uh, uh, sanitary? W w what exactly? Can you prioritize that? 
So now that that's uh, you can't give me service delivery. I've got to, we've got to get this is the mathematics. We've got to get very precise. So then they can prioritize for us what is what is more important. So what we're able to do, and I'll come to the South African context now. What we're able to do is have a look at a whole bunch of different things, complaints, people that phone in, a whole bunch of issues, and redirect the appropriate or direct and constant direct initially and then constantly redirect resources to the places, physically the areas with the skills required mm-hmm. to fix that issue, because that's what they said, limited resources, and this is what service delivery means. And that's, that's proving to be quite effective. Now, in the South African context, let, let me use your example. Why, why did you appropriate funds, I would ask the government, to, to build a road between two places? Why? Why, why were those, I'm going back to, to, to running scenarios and to proving the case why that road there. Has that business case been done? Is, is, there, is there a reason for it, and what else could you use it for? So I'd like to put it into two things. Number one, the mm. planning. Where ex- you've got limited budget, that's for sure. Well, well, I don't know if governments around the world actually appreciate that both the budgets ought to be limited. They seem to be able to, to, uh, to borrow and print money quite, quite easily. But let's, let's make the assumption that you have a limited budget. And then you have to decide where's the best place to put it in order to achieve your, your objective function. That's the first point. So, I, so my question to you is, your, your hypothetical example, why that road? Why not a dam? Why not something else? That's the first point. The second issue is that assuming you've made these decisions and they're the correct one and, they're, and, they're, and it's all about trade-offs. Everything is about trade-offs. The world that we live in mm-hmm. physically is, 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 is constrained and therefore you do have to make a decision. It has to be a trade-off at some time. I don't care if it's a government or a business. So let's assume the right, the modeling has been done at a national level, at a regional level. We have 30 level, seconds, Elton, then we have to be out. So can I just ask you to please just wrap sure. up? We only have 30 seconds of the second show. So, 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 so that's the first thing. The second thing is how do you execute that? And then, you, then there's other technologies that you can use to, to check and track that the resources that have been allocated to a particular project are in fact used properly. And certainly you can track and trace that using technology today. Why governments don't, um, you'd have to ask them. <laughs> I'm not going to bother because I know I'm not going to get the right answer. But nonetheless, thank you so much for your time. Mr. Elton Bondi, CEO much. of BSC Global, thoroughly enjoyed having a conversation about data science. And that's the program, folks.